The title of today's message is, What is the Will of God for My Life? Which is one of the most frequently asked questions that people throw out. What's the will of God for my life? Uh, Think about all the decisions that uh, are being made by people just in this room and to those of you online. Decisions about school, where you might go, where you might send your kids to school, what you'll study, um, various investments. Maybe you have some retirement decisions uh, uh, coming up. Some of you have a decision to make about going to rehab. You've needed to go to rehab for a long time, and you've resisted it. But you can make a decision to pursue freedom under the hand of God. What's God's will for my life? And a lot of us, we would love to have clear answers, listen, in advance. A clear answer in advance on whom I should marry, who we should marry, what job should we take, where should we live. And uh uh-oh, if I make a wrong decision along the way, is the will of God like a detailed itinerary? Is it like this small little dot where if I get off track, the whole thing's just shot to smithereens? Uh Uh-oh, you went to Northeast University. And God's will for your life, you were supposed to go to Southeast University. Now you've just blown the whole things to smithereens. My friend, that is not the way God's will works. Okay, let me just get right into it today. Um, And, you know, fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. Point number one, let's talk about God's wills. Not just God's will, God's wills. First of all, God has a prevailing will. Prevailing will. And God's prevailing will is his ultimate will, and you can't stop this. You can't stop this. It's his prevailing will, and it's going to happen. You can look in the past and see God's prevailing will. Creation, you can't stop this. The establishment of Israel, you can't stop this. The coming of Jesus, you can't stop this. The sacrifice of Christ, the resurrection, the establishment of the church. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against this. You cannot stop Jesus coming back. You cannot stop the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, which simply means the best of what you can imagine, earth, and the best of what you cannot even begin to imagine, a new heaven and a new earth, You cannot stop God putting an end to Satan, sin, and death, and granting you eternal life. You can't stop that. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, you're in the current. You're in the flow of God's prevailing will, and that means you win. On the count of three, I want everybody to shout out, we win. One, two, three. That's true. That's God's prevailing will. You can't stop it. And that's a good thing. Point number two, or rather B, then God has a preferred will. God's preferred will is revealed, but it can be resisted. Let me read some scriptures. 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. 
For everything in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. He says here, God's will is that you love him first. You know, Ten Commandments, no other gods before me. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's God's will. Does everybody do that? No. Could you resist that? Yes. Could you rebel against that? Yes. It's God's preferred will. It's good for you. It will bless your life when you build your life around the Lord. But it's His preferred will. It can be resisted. Here's another scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Hey, should I move in with my girlfriend, with my boyfriend? No. You know, should I sleep around before? No. Should I have an affair with something? No. It is God's will. This is very, very clear, and it's preferred that you should be sanctified, avoid sexual immorality, so that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. Well, you know, who should I marry? Who should I date? Let me tell you, the most important thing, you start out by saying the kind of person you're going to be. You're not going to sleep around. You're not going to flirt around. And you're going to treat that guy and you're going to treat that girl like she, he is holy property because they are. This is God's preferred will. Can it be resisted? Sure. They can be resisted. 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you to be a grateful person and find something to praise Him for and thank Him for. Can you say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be chronically grumpy. That's your choice. And you can resist it. You can. But this is God's preferred will, and it's good for you. It's good for your environment. It's good for your family. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Well, sometimes the reason is you, make a, you made a really goofy decision. And, um, you know, you cheated on your spouse. Well, you know, it all happens for a reason. You drove drunk and hurt somebody. Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. That's absurd. The reason is you made a bad decision. Don't blame God for the consequences of your actions. Um, so this is God's preferred will. He has a preferred will. This is the way life goes well. It can be resisted. Then there's God's permissive will. And this is where God, and this is sort of connected to preferred, this is where God permits and allows some things to occur that he doesn't like, that he doesn't agree with. God allows for a time, it has an expiration date, but for a time, he allows what he does not endorse. In other words, people will do evil things. Mechanical parts will fail. A hurricane might form and dump 52 inches of rain on the Houston area. But one day, God's permissive will 
is going to be replaced by his perfect will. 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, the Lord is not slow when keeping his promise. In other words, he's not slow. His promise to come back and set everything right, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Notice this, not wanting anyone to perish. Some, some Bible translations say not willing that anybody perishes. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Now, question, does everyone come to repentance? No. Does God want everybody to come to repentance? Yes. But he will permit you to reject him. He will permit you to resist him. He doesn't want you to, but he'll allow it. And then next, there is God's providential and personal will. Providential, what that simply means is God is at work in your life, but you have no way of knowing all the ways he's at work in your life. And personal, he knows your name. Not only does he know your name, he knows how many hairs are on your head. I've uh, stated before, do you know how many hairs are on your head? And some of you have told me afterwards, yeah, Ronnie, I actually do know how many hairs are, are, are on my head. But God knows how many hairs are on your head. It's his providential and personal will. Uh, here's a scripture, Romans 8. In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us with our weakness. Notice this. We don't know what we ought to pray for. There are times I don't even know what I don't know. I don't even know what I should pray for. But you know what? You can always know that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you and with you through wordless groans. Verse 27 and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people according with the will of God. And we know, get this, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. God is at work in your life. All things work together for good. It doesn't mean all things are good. It means that even out of those non-good things, God can bring forth some beauty and squeeze some good out of it. I don't know all the ways God is at work in my life. I see it most clearly in the rearview mirror. In the rearview mirror, I can see ways where God has met me, and you can see the same way. But even though I don't know what tomorrow may bring, I do know the Holy Spirit is with me, for me, interceding for me. And my friend, you serve a really good God. You serve a very, very generous God. And I am convinced that one of the greatest sources of spiritual disillusionment in some people is the absolutely goofy idea that God's plan for your life, or for that matter, for the next two weeks, should be easily discernible in advance. Does God have some little secret will that you got to try to find out? No. Think 
game plan, not itinerary, game plan. And what's the game plan? You're going to love God first. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to suit up. You're going to show up. You're going to do the next right thing. You're going to trust God for the results. You're going to be God's woman at this stage of your life, God's man at this stage of your life. You're going to serve the Lord, and as you walk in faith, God is going to bring some good things about. He does not want you burdened with the task of trying to figure out a minute little itinerary. But you can know that God is at work. Now, J. Wallace Hamilton was a famous preacher back in the middle part of the 20th century. He used to tell a story that he witnessed one day of a mother cat had a baby kitten in her mouth, and she was trying unsuccessfully to cross a busy New York City street intersection. She'd try to cross the street, cars are coming, she'd back away. One cat-loving police officer sees this, stands out in the middle of the intersection, puts his hands up, stops traffic in all directions. And that anxious little mama cat and scampered to the other side of the street with her kitten in tow and walked down an alley. Hamilton pointed out that that cat had no idea that the authority of the New York City Police Department had been called on to enable her to get to the other side of the street. And then he said this, I wonder how many times the mighty hand of God goes up to get us safely where he wants us to be. And we're not even aware of it. But he's there. And he is not silent. And in the rearview mirror, you will see evidence of God's providential and personal care in your life. James chapter 4 says it so well. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to carry on business. We're going to make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. In other words, your job's not to figure out every detail of your future. You cannot. Your assignment is to serve God faithfully based on what you can know. The rest is in his hands. And as Kevin DeYoung in a great little book called Just Do Something says this, just live for God. Obey the scriptures. Think of others before yourself. Be holy Love Jesus, and as you do these things, you are walking clearly in the will of God. Now, let me very quickly ask if you're dealing with a paralysis by analysis. And I want to speak specifically to the younger generation here just for a moment. I love you guys. I, lo I love you so much. Um, but is it possible that you might be obsessing over God's direction in your life to the point where you've almost become passive and afraid to make a decision. Sometimes it happens because, first of all, we want a detailed itinerary. 
And God's not going to give you a detailed itinerary of what your life is going to look like in your mid-40s when you're in your mid-20s. What you start doing is when you're 15, you start walking by faith. And when you're 20, you're walking by faith. But he's not going to give you a detailed itinerary. It might cause fear in you if you had it. And you wouldn't depend on him if you had a detailed itinerary. Secondly, there's the illusion of perfection. And especially in a social media world, sometimes we're afraid to make a decision because, uh uh-oh, I see everybody else's life and it just looks perfect, and I'm not sure my decision is going to turn out as perfect as their highlight reel. And um, let me just remind you, you can be in the very center of God's will and something be difficult. Some people are afraid to make a decision, don't make a decision, and that's a bad decision. And sometimes they make a decision, but they think once that decision happens and it's difficult, uh uh-oh, marriage has some challenges to it, and it's difficult or it's hard, they think, I must have made a wrong decision. No, you didn't. You can be in the very center of God's will and something be difficult. You can be on the straight and narrow, but it's an uphill straight and narrow for a while. And then there are many options. You got a lot of options. <laughs> I'm going to really show my age, but when I was a kid and watching TV, didn't have a remote control, you had to get up and actually turn the channel. And we had three stations in Tennessee. I mean, we had ABC, CBS, and uh, NBC. And, uh, and then we had, you know, educational station, nobody watched, but... Uh, so you had you know, three networks, and, and that's it. Now, I've lost track of the number of shows, and, you know, we have Amazon Prime, and that and you get BritBox with that, and so many options. And it can just be overload and uh, cause somebody to, to shut down. Uh, you you want to date somebody? I mean, you, you don't live in a village with 15 people. You've got all, all the online options, which can be really, really good. In fact, over 50% of the time over the last uh, 10 years, whenever I've asked a couple, regardless of age, how they met, invariably they say online. And usually they kind of smirk at me and go, Ronnie, like online, like Duh, you know, why would you even ask? Uh, Are many options good? Well, you just can't let it paralyze you. And then sometimes we just are timid, afraid, just so afraid to make a mistake. We do like the man in the parable of Jesus where we take our opportunities and we just go outside and just bury it in the ground. Hey, I didn't make a mistake. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Just Do Something, says this, and I quote, Some people need to be told to think before they act. Others need to be told to act after thinking. Gary Friesen, in his book, Decision Making and the Will of God, says this, Where God commands, we obey. Where there's no command, God gives us freedom and responsibility to choose. Thirdly, where there is no command, God gives us wisdom to choose. 
And four, when we choose what is moral and wise, we trust the sovereign God to work all the details together for good. See, God's growing you. He's not just handing everything on a platter. He's growing you so that you will grow as a person of discernment and wisdom in partnership with him. Now, very quickly before I close, five questions to help us in making decisions. Uh, And before I ask the first one, Leslie Weatherid, back in the mid-1940s, he had a statement I think is great. He said, our guiding principle should be, I am committed to doing the will of God as far as I can see it, as far as I can see it. I'm not going to be paralyzed by what I can't see and don't know. I'm going to do the will of God as far as I can see it, and I will fear not, and I will trust and obey. Here are five questions to help out. Number one, does my leaning agree with Scripture or does it contradict it? Because God's guidance will always be in concert with His Word, which is an infallible point of reference. Does my leaning agree with Scripture or contradict it? Psalm 119, direct my footsteps in your Word. Let no sin rule over me. Secondly, does this make good faith sense? Or am I spiritualizing foolishness? Three, have I taken the time to pray? Or am I rushing into this? Joel quoted from James 1 earlier today, where we're promised from God, if you lack wisdom, you ask me, I love to give wisdom. Let's work together on this. Even Jesus prayed before decisions, before he selected his apostles. He spent time in prayer. And um, don't act without prayer, but when there's an opportunity to be had, you pray and then you step out and act boldly. Question four, what do my wise Christian, Christian friends say about this? There is tremendous value. Let me underscore that. Tremendous value in wise group judgment. Now, I'm not saying, you know, the Bible also says be careful that you don't just sit around a bunch of scorners and fools. You, wanna, you can get cheap advice. You can find anybody who will bless any kind of crazy opinion. But when you listen to godly, wise men and women, get their input and consider it. That is so valuable. And one more thing. Am I walking by faith today? Am I walking by faith today? And you notice what I'm doing. I'm walking. Because the Bible tells us to walk by faith, not sit by faith, not just, you know, lounge by faith. But it's a metaphor for we're going to be on the move. We're going to be taking steps. And as you walk by faith today, God opens doors that might impact you tomorrow. 
And walking by faith today determines tomorrow's opportunities and tomorrow's stories. Um, a few years ago, several years ago, Martha and I were, were backpacking in in Europe. So we're backpacking uh, in Europe. At that particular point, we were, we were in Germany. We were in a small German town, and uh, we had a, a train to catch that afternoon. It was going to leave about 4.20, and it was about two and a half hours away. Uh, uh, you know, we were in the town. We were catching the train in the town, but it, it was going to be two and a half hours later in the afternoon. And rather than just sitting around the town for another couple of hours, I said, look, one of our little uh, couple of travel books, and one says there's a great little place to visit about half an hour from here, and so uh, we can catch the bus. It's a 30-minute ride out there, and then we can spend an hour sightseeing and then catch the bus back 30 minutes, and we've got a good half-hour margin before we have to catch this train. And catching that train was really important because it was an overnight train getting us to our next destination uh, the next morning. Martha wasn't crazy about the idea. She thought we were cutting it too close. But I said, honey, trust me, what could possibly go wrong? And, um, and, and so we, we get on the bus, uh, ride out 30 minutes, sightsee, fantastic time. Our travel book had said buses run on the hour, every hour, on the half hour. And so we're back at the bus stop, going to ride back into town, catch our train. We're waiting for the bus. We're waiting for the bus. The bus is late. The bus is even later. So I go into a coffee shop nearby, and I say, what's up with the, with the bus? I said, well, the bus uh, won't be here for another uh, couple of hours. I said, well, that, that, that can't be because my little travel book says it, it runs uh, every, every hour. I said, well, your little travel book is wrong because uh, it doesn't run uh, every, every, every hour. So I said, can, is there anybody here that can drive us in, into town? We have, to, we have to catch a train. Um, I said, sorry. Well, can we call a cab? Well, what time's your train? I told him what time the train. He said, cab, by the time the cab gets out here and takes you back, you're going to miss your train. So now I have to explain this to my wife. So I say, honey, uh, you know my idea about coming out here and, you know, with no problem getting back, catching our overnight train. We are up the proverbial creek without a paddle. And she was not, not happy with me, and I don't, I don't really blame her that uh, she wasn't very, very happy with me. So what do you do in a situation like that? We could have just stood out there by this remote bus stop waiting for a magical helicopter to show up and take us into town, I'll tell you what we did. I said, honey, we're going to start walking. Walking is a 30-minute car ride back to town. I know, but we're going to start walking in that direction. We're not walking the opposite direction. We're going to be walking in this direction. She said, this is crazy. I know. I didn't know what else to do. All right, so we started walking. We were walking by faith. At least I was walking by faith, walking in desperation faith. And I was praying as I was walking, and it was like, help me. Not a help us, just help me. I'm the one in trouble here. Help me. And if, if our marriage means anything to you, please, and I know it does, really help, help me. And so we're walking along on, on this uh, small road. I kid you not. 
There's a, we come across, we come up to a house. There's a lady pulling in in her car. She's getting out of her car. And I said to her in a combination of English and very, very bad German, my message was, if you will get us to the train station by 4 o'clock, I pulled out, I'll give you 20 euro. She pointed to her car and in perfect English said, get in. <laughs> and then she channeled her inner NASCAR and we were there in plenty of time with time to spare. So, we just walked. Well, did I know we were going to come across that house? No. Did I know the lady was going to have a car? No. But I have a story to tell. You keep walking by faith. Keep doing the next right thing. You suit up, you show up, and you see what God brings about. And some of you are asking the question, you're saying, oh, well, what if I'm constantly second-guessing myself? You know what? You'll wear yourself out with a bunch of what-ifs. You walk in joy and in confidence that the Lord is with you. And for those of you who've gotten off path and you've gotten sidetracked and you made some boneheaded decisions, what now? My friend, the Lord invites you back. He will get you back on that path. He will walk with you and it's like that image in the Old Testament where, uh-oh, I've made some decisions and everything around me, it's scorched earth and there's no harvest and the locusts have eaten everything. But when there's a spirit of humility and a spirit of repentance, you know what happens? You can look in your hands and you can see some seeds there. And you can look beneath your feet and it's no longer scorched earth. There's some good soil and God will bring about good things. Worship team, be making your way back up here. And as they're doing so, I want to read this scripture from James chapter 4 that was written, written to people who had gotten off target. Here we go. God opposes the proud. but he shows favor to the humble. So you submit yourselves then to God. You resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. You double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning. Your joy to gloom. In other words, stop taking rebellion lightly. But when you stop taking rebellion lightly, you humble yourselves before the Lord, and notice what happens. He lifts you up. Good things are ahead of you.